Thank you, Aubrey and choir. Well, as Marty already said, Happy New Year. What year is it? 2020. Ah, I need help with that sometimes. 2020, a year, a number that suggests vision, clarity, and focus. Vision, clarity, and focus, my hope and prayer for you and for me and for us, indeed for the world. If truth be told, I actually enjoy New Year's better than Christmas and the holidays. Um, and I've already had some pre-service chats with a couple of you, and I know that that feeling is, <laughs> is there somewhat. I'm not sure how widespread. Uh, past the, the, the stress of the holidays into the newness of a new year, flipping the calendar, learning the year to write on your checks, if we write checks much anymore, which we don't, I guess. Uh, and it, it symbolizes a, a blank slate where we might make New Year resolutions, perhaps, or, or do whatever it is we need to do to, to be a better us in the world. A fresh start, a new beginning, a new possibility. Our worship theme for January is, what does it mean to be a people of possibility? This week, we're introducing the, sub, the concept that we live amid the flow of life that's always changing, always forming, always creating, always pulling us around the next corner. Next week, we talk about how our history affects us, uh, both personally uh, and corporately as a congregation, which provides a nice foundation for uh, that week's first session of the History Wall over in Gore Hall right after worship, where you'll tell me your congregation's history, and I have marker in hand and write notes, and through that remembered history over four weeks, uh, it's exciting, and, and uh, uh, you learn a lot, especially for newer people, and we get a sense of the flow of life in this congregation and its unique DNA part of our transitional ministry approach to ministry. The third week this month, we'll look at the possibilities of racial justice in our land through the ministries of both Dr. Martin Luther King and the Reverend C. John C. Fuller, minister of this congregation during much of the civil rights era in the 50s and early 60s. And in the fourth Sunday in the pulpit will be our new religious education consultant, Michelle Grove from Illinois, who will be with us all that weekend to help us revision and reimagine our wonderful religious education program for children and youth, and to prepare us for a new generation of ministry to our younger Unitarian Universalists. So there's a lot happening. It is indeed a month of possibility and a year of possibility. Today on this first Sunday of that theme, let's talk about, well, this moment now, this time that we always find ourselves in being between our past and our future, between what was and what will be. Years ago when I was sitting in the pews at another First Unitarian Church in Dallas, Texas, our then newish minister, Dr. Laurel Hallman, was 
in a sermon describing a conversation she was having with uh, her new physician. Her doctor discovered that his new patient was a Unitarian Universalist minister, and he said, I am Presbyterian. We believe in predestination, I think. He said, it sounded like rather tongue-in-cheek. He said, tell me, what do the Unitarians believe in? Laurel said she paused, shrugged, and said, random events. <laughs> a nice answer to a predestinationarian, whatever. Random events, indeed, it can seem at times that the only ordering principle in our lives is randomness, random events. For so often we don't know what's just around the river bend. But to say that life is merely random and we are merely on the receiving end of these random events is not telling the full story. Life is not so static as to be predestined, as said our Presbyterian friend, but neither is it entirely one of random events. Certain parts of our lives, while not pre-programmed by a force beyond us, certainly do have a quality of givenness, a framework beyond which we cannot go. Each of us are born into certain bodies in a certain historical time and in a certain geographical location and into a certain family structure. We inherit certain DNA with certain chromosomes and characteristics that we cannot change. And in addition to the DNA we inherit at birth, there's another level of this givenness of our lives, our own historical experience. We'll talk more about this next week. But for today, it's obvious that the past is past and it cannot be undone. Things we have done, whether for good or bad, are history and cannot be changed. The toothpaste, as we say, is out of the tube and is not going back in. Similarly, the things that happen to us, we may have had a lousy childhood, we may have had a difficult relationship with a person, there are so many different challenges in life and nothing will change that history. It is there forever. So to some significant degree, our past limits us. Now, sometimes our past has given us a good and healthy start to life, a good foundation upon which we can build as we grow up. So sometimes this historical limitation may be an advantage. It may be one of privilege. All these experiences we've had, positive and negative, limiting and advantageous, are part of our past and cannot be changed. They are what was. Alfred North Whitehead was a British mathematician and philosopher. During the late 19th and early 20th century, a wonderful time of discovery in science and philosophy and metaphysics, the good kind of metaphysics, not what you see when you go to the bookstore and it says metaphysics, classical metaphysics, of which Whitehead was one. He was, in fact, the defining figure in a branch of philosophy called process philosophy or process theology. Whitehead searched for a logical metaphysic that could explain reality. Regarding these past experiences I've mentioned, the experiences which limit us and influence us, Whitehead called these the 
stubborn facts of our lives, those things that happened in the past that we're stuck with that we cannot change, those stubborn facts. Well, so he asked, are we merely stuck with what happened in the past? Are we merely a product of our history or of our pathology, unable to move beyond these stubborn facts? Of course not. Whitehead saw that our lives, though indeed hemmed in by these stubborn facts, didn't withhold us entirely looking out at the world. He saw not a static universe. This was in the generation that was just discovering historic evolution. Not a static universe, but a fluid and expanding and dynamic universe. The basic nature of life, he observed, was a process of creative change and evolving truth. We stand, so he said, at every moment of our lives between our stubborn facts of the past and what he called our creative advance toward the future. We are surrounded by possibilities in that moment, many possibilities over which we have choice and agency. Now, Whitehead was a good philosopher, always asking the most obvious questions, and so he asked, well, what makes the possibilities possible? I mean, it sounds like a silly question, but he said, Are, if we have only the things we inherit, where do new things come from? Are they merely new arrangements of the old elements and so not truly new? No, he answered, the things that make possibilities possible is novelty, the element of surprise, of newness, of innovation. And Whitehead conceived logically that the parent of novelty was God. Now, by this, he did not mean the God of popular imagination, of a human-like God who is rigid and deterministic and outside of the created order. In fact, he opposed much of that tradition. He opposed classic theism and work for a new understanding and a new theism more in line with unfolding science and understandings of evolution. He understood the concept of God more like an animating principle who dwells at the heart of creation, pushing everything forward, often in surprising ways. This concept affirmed the reality of human free choice to avoid the conceptual trap of predestination. Such are the meanderings of philosophers while we're watching sports on television. They're thinking about these things. Such a God was necessary, he thought, in a world that obviously was not a closed system of finite possibilities, but an open system constantly made new by novelty. Novelty, I think, is related to the Tao's concept of the hidden creator, that which is endlessly creating that thing in life that's invisible but animates all that is visible. She becomes the whole universe, says the Tao. So she, and it's interesting that the Chinese wisdom saw this as a feminine principle, she, this presence and, for, and force, is within us and within all. Lao Tzu, the author of the Tao, said, Tao is limitless, unborn, eternal. Tao is this hidden creator, he said, a force of creation that is always birthing new life. 
So this wisdom asserts that we live between stubborn facts and creative advance, between what was and what will be, between our history and our possibilities. And in that moment, in that in-between state, it's where we live every moment of our lives, if truth be told. We cannot escape it until we invent time travel. And it is here that we have the choice to participate in the ongoing creation of the world with novelty, to create and really following the logic to co-create something new. This is to say there is, I think, a creative principle at the center of our being and all being. Each of us has this creative principle in our singular lives, in our family life, in all of the various communities of which we are a part, and most certainly in this religious community. This creative principle also sits at the heart of our national and global life. Certainly as we engage the issues of our day, we see the power of history in creating structures of oppression and the power of novelty and possibility as we work and live into creating new structures that affirm the breadth, depth, and diversity of humanity. This doesn't happen overnight. It sometimes happens in spite of us, as much as because of us, but as has been said, the arc of the universe bends toward justice, which is one way, I think, of saying this creator principle, this hidden creator, this novelty flowing into expression from the unborn to the born, from thought to thing, is of justice, of love made visible. Children get this better than adults often. Julian, in our story, a boy who realized something new about his identity through play, he played into it as children do, revealing himself, at least in part, as a mermaid. And importantly in that story, he was affirmed for who he was. His abuela, wise and worn of years, no doubt, seems skeptical at first, but shows her love in the simple gift of a necklace. It is a story about revealing ourselves as who we are and belonging to others who love us as we are. This is living with possibility. Where in your life this year are there places, perhaps in your own being, new identities, new ways of being in the world, new ways of understanding the world, new ways of being at living with heart in the world? Where are the places that you perhaps need to move forward, where you need to create something new? where you need to perhaps renew something established. And where in our lives in this congregation are we open to possibilities? Really, this has been a question of our transitional ministry from day one, and it's a question we will begin to engage more deeply in the weeks and months ahead, where you'll be hearing more about our transitional ministry programs and, and 
find out more of, of how we will move from this place today to the calling of your settled minister sometime in the spring of 2021, next year. One now forgotten Unitarian minister at the turn of the 20th century, Dr. George Dodson, who lived in the same generation as Whitehead. And I know Dr. Dodson's work from having served uh, First Unitarian Church of St. Louis, where he pastored early in the 20th century. Dodson was actually one of the bigger thinkers of the age and published a book on, with Beacon Press, one of our denominational presses, about the uh, new ideas of Henri Bergson, another evolutionist of that era from France. Dr. Dodson saw in the then new concept of evolution a powerful statement of how we are carried forward in the flow of life to ever new dimensions. He said, life as we know it is in the making, always in the making and not in the made. Life as we know it is always in the making. What kind of life are we making? What kind of life are you making in your own realms? What kind of life are we making as a global community, a subject especially uh, prescient on this day given global concerns? Life is always going somewhere. We are always on the brink of the future. The hidden creator is always at work even and especially when we do not observe her work. This is an idea expressed in many ways over the generations. Life is a process, life is a journey. The important thing, it has been said, is the journey and not the destination. We have control only of now, only of this moment now, only of this second between what was and what will be, this in-betweenness, that we cannot escape. Life ever present and ever birthing new possibilities is a reality. This year, may that be so for you and for us as we move into our unfolding future. So may it be, amen.